And I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the text that Jeremy read this morning, uh, Mark 16, 1 through 8. And uh, it's in our Red Pew Bible. We have a Bible in the pew rack in front of you if you'd like to follow along. It probably would be useful today to follow along. I'm going to move a little bit through the book of Mark, but you can turn to page number 969. 969, we come to Mark 16, verses 1 through 8. So this morning, I'm going to be a little bit interactive uh, at the beginning here, and uh, I want to ask you, what is by far God's most frequent command? Do you have any ideas. What would be the most frequent command in Scripture, do you believe? To love, love one another, love your neighbor as yourself, love the Lord your God. You might be surprised to realize it's actually, do not be afraid. There are actually over 300 such instances in which God told people not to be afraid. Uh, Just uh, as I go through just a few samples, I'm not going through all 300 today. I just have a sampling here for you, and I want, as I read, when we come up to that phrase, do not be afraid, why don't we all say it together as I read it and as you see it on the wall. And the first example of this is in Genesis 15, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your very great reward. Genesis 21, verse 17, and God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. And the next is Genesis 26. That night the Lord appeared to Jacob and said, I am the Lord God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. The Lord said to Moses, Do not be afraid of him, for I have handed him over to you with his whole army and his land. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. And uh, another we have in Daniel, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come to response to them. And the last one this morning from Matthew 28, then Jesus said to him, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they shall see me. Now, what is the significance Of this frequent command. I can think of a few significant aspects, and the first is is that we are fearful of many things. Uh, At many times, Jesus or God the Father has had to speak uh, through angels or directly to those he's speaking to not to be afraid of their circumstances. There's something else that's significant about this as well, and that is that God knows us. And he has compassion for us. We also can see that we really truly have nothing to fear if God knows us and has compassion for us. 
Mark's gospel, more than any other gospel, highlights just how pervasive our fear is. How might you ask? Well, example, prima facie, is this, is that Mark's gospel ends with the words, and they were afraid. In Mark 16, 8, it says, And they were, went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, Mark's gospel is very short. Uh, it's a very simple account of how uh, Jesus' life and teaching touched the disciples and becomes a platform for telling the world who Jesus is and why he came and And what does it mean to follow him? But Mark's gospel, we also learn about the kinds of things that we fear. We learn about the compassion of God. And we also learn why we don't need to be afraid. Uh, This uh, passion season, my theme has been along the lines of that command, be not afraid. And so the resurrection itself teaches us that there truly is nothing to be afraid of. And so I want to do a little bit of a survey through Mark this morning as well and just kind of recount, first of all, how God knows that we are fearful of many things. We do have underlying anxieties and fears about the world around us. And I want to draw our attention to the fact that some of us truly fear untamed power of nature. Now, living here in northeast Pennsylvania, thankfully, we are not as exposed to some of the things that people around the world are exposed to. I personally remember observing the earthquake in the San Francisco Bay and as a young kid feeling very traumatized just at a distance watching everything collapsed down on freeways and and fires breaking out throughout the city of San Francisco. But many people throughout the world are fearful of nearby mudslides, tornadoes passing through multiple states, hurricanes devastating coastlines, avalanches, flooding, sub-zero temperatures, blizzards, volcanic eruptions, Earthquakes, tsunamis, wildfires, heat waves, drought, all of these natural disasters can create an anxiety within the souls, and I think we can have some sympathy. I think we can have sympathy for others and also for the disciples who experience the massive power of wind and water. If you want to turn with me, you can go back to Mark chapter 4. It's just a few pages back in your Bibles. And in Mark chapter 4, we have the account of of Jesus calming the sea and him being in the boat with the disciples. And I'm not going to read all of these stories this morning, but I'm going to start by just reading this one. In verse 35 to 41, we read that on that day... When evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with him in the boat, uh, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, 
so that the boat was already filling. And he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he woke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? I don't know if you enjoy being on the open water or not, but perhaps you can have some sympathy for the disciples. Uh, Some of them were professionals. Some of them were commercial fishermen. This is what they had done for their living. And they knew Galilee. They knew the lake and the sea very, very well. Now, it's contrary to public opinion, but sometimes the experts truly know when it is time to panic. And they were panicking as the waves were breaking over the sides of their boat, and it was starting to take on water. And it made it all the harder for them as the professional carpenter was sleeping at the back of the boat, his head on the stern's cushion, and didn't sense the extreme danger that they were in. He was ignoring all the signs and asleep on the cushion. I imagine having grown up myself around the water in my youth and being on small boats, they always have on them a bailing bucket. And that bailing bucket, I am sure, was an action in that moment as they were terrified of what might potentially befall him, and they were afraid. And I think our sympathies can be with them. And they rebuked Jesus remarkably for his lack of compassion. That makes sense, right? You know, isn't that what we do when people ignore our sense of security our needs of safety, our needs for love, and when they can't see it, we get annoyed for their lack of compassion. But when Jesus awoke, he asked them, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Well, certainly untamed natural disaster or powers can cause us to fear But there are also things that also frighten us as well, and those are unexplained phenomena, maybe even what we might consider to be folklore. If you keep following through Mark, in Mark chapter 5, we have the incident in which Jesus, with his disciples arriving on the other side of the sea, they encounter a demonic, possessed man who lived among the tombs and was naked and cutting himself, and they tried to chain him, and chains couldn't, with, couldn't restrain him. And there's all kinds of reactions when something that is unexplained happens. I, I don't know about you um, in particular. Uh, there are some abnormal activities that occur in nature that sometimes can cause us to, to wonder. Uh, perhaps it's abnormal Uh, behavior of animals all in sync. Like, for example, uh, uh, horses all of a sudden neighing at once, or um, perhaps it's a call of birds that seems so unnatural. Maybe it's the black cats that you see around. Uh, Maybe it's the sighting of a comet. Maybe there's dreams and there's some things that take place that are unexplainable. 
all these patterns, they can be very mysterious, and, and they can kind of cause us to, to wonder what's going on and even to have some, some fear. I, I remember a few uh, years ago, uh, at, in the fall, there was a very eerie, it was a very eerie day, and, and a lot of the leaves had fallen off the trees, and, and I looked out my office window, and there were hundreds and hundreds of black crows. It was disgusting. And as I sat there watching them, and the, the, I just was filled with a sense of dread as I was looking at these things. And it wasn't long after that that I got COVID. <laughs> now, I don't know if there's any connection whatsoever to that, but it's very frequent that we often can associate things and our minds can be filled with anxieties unnecessarily. Well, as, as we hear of Jesus exercising that demon out into a herd of pigs and it going off the cliff, the whole community was roused and not being in a God-fearing community, they were concerned about what was happening. It was unexplained phenomena and they believed in folklore. And in verse 15 of chapter 5, it says, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, he was clothed and in his right mind. And it says, and they were afraid. They were afraid. And in response to hearing Jesus had exercised demons and put them into these pigs, the people begged Jesus to leave their community. They were fearful. There's another kinds of fears that we experience and are highlighted in the book of Mark. If we keep going in chapter 5, it's, I... I, I it stands out to me that a lot of these instances of fear are very close together in the progress of the story. And in Mark 5:24, we have an incident in which someone was very fearful of being condemned by their community. In the first century, one's purity status was like a passport. It was like a way of entry into the community. And an issue of blood for a female made you unclean, and if it was protracted, you had to live with incredible shame because you couldn't associate with normal society. And she had lived for 12 years as an outcast, suffered much under the hand of physicians. They had taken her money, but they had not produced any results, and she, she was getting worse, and with each passing month, it, it was worse, and she, she approached Jesus in the crowd, and he, she had heard that he could heal, and she thought to herself, if I could just get up close enough to touch the hem of his garment, then I could very well be healed. A miracle was absolutely extraordinary because Jesus didn't, as it were, anticipate and even have a conversation with someone. She just simply touched him, and power out of Jesus exuded, and she was healed. He turns around in the crowd. Now it's a jostling crowd. And he asks, who touched me? The woman knew that she had been healed, began to feel that burning sense of shame. All of a sudden, her joy collapsed, and she was afraid. She was now being singled out. Would they rebuke her? for touching the hem of the garment of a rabbi? 
and defiling him and making him unclean? Did she fear the repercussions of rebuke? What's beautiful is that she came, she knelt down, and Jesus very tenderly said to her as she came, be not afraid. A beautiful statement. But she came with fear and trembling, and she fell down before him. She was fearful of being condemned by the community again. But that's a real feeling that we all feel of being outside and not being inside. And so many of us rearrange our lives so that we can be inside because we fear. There's another kind of fear that we, is very common to us, and that is the fear that comes of potentially losing those we love. This incident about the lady in the crowd is kind of sandwiched between two, two parts of a story in which on the first part of the story in verse 21, if you're following along, you'll note that a father named Jairus comes to Jesus and he is imploring Jesus to come. And he says, my little daughter, my little daughter is at the point of death. Would you come to my home and heal her? Now, Jesus sets off for his house, and while on the way, this woman touched the hem of his garment, interrupts the flow of events that would bring him quick enough to the daughter's home. And it, it became a fatal problem, an obstacle, and news comes shortly that Jairus' daughter, his little daughter, is dead. I'm a father, now of a daughter, and I can imagine if I received news like that, that my heart would grow numb. And overhearing what, what's going on, Jesus says to the father, do not fear, only believe. What a shocking thing to say to someone who has, in that moment, lost their loved one. Of all the fears that we experience as people, this is probably one of the greatest experiences that we face. The potential of losing those we love, we are all mortal, and we care for those who respond to our love. There's another kind of fear, and this is the last I'll consider before considering potentially what they mean, and that is the pressure to provide. All of us have a sense of need and pressure to provide, especially if we have a family. I want to think on a much more, a larger level here in which if you turn with me to Mark chapter 6 and verse 30 through 34, this is the famous incident of, of the feeding of the 5,000, and it's a little bit perhaps a little bit more invisible, the kind of fear that would the disciples experience in this moment. But it's remarkable because I believe that this is connected to the following miracle, which we'll get to in a little while. And in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus is in a desolate place, and there are vast crowds coming and gathering. And the day was growing late, and his disciples began to notice that there's a problem. They were growing nervous. They were 
They were noting that these people didn't have provisions to even feed themselves, and they were growing nervous. And they approached Jesus and with a, a suggested plan of action. In verse 36, Mark chapter 6, verse 36, they approach Jesus and they say, send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. And then Jesus does something very surprising. He turns to them and he turns up the heat and says to them, you give them something to eat. That's impossible. That, now, I'm, I'm kind of like a, a type A person, like likes to have a plan and know what's going to happen. And so when I would hear something like that, my heart would probably go into cardiac arrest. It's remarkable. I mean, it's a caterer's worst nightmare to think you're, you're, you don't have any supplies and suddenly you're calling all the pizza shops in town. There's no pizza shops in town here. It's worse. There's nothing for miles. But I see in this that while Jesus put pressure on the disciples, it also exposed fears about the need to provide. And we live in a world in which we need to provide for others, and we have responsibilities. And that can be a very heavy weight, especially on young families. And it can be very difficult to know how things will go. Now, I highlight all of these things. I highlight all these things as kinds of fears that we experience. Untamed nature, the potential loss of loved ones, the fear of the unknown, the fear of being isolated from society, the fear of, of not being able to provide. All of these are real fears that we cope with. And in remarkable, it's remarkable that Jesus, when he was about ready to feed the 5,000, in verse 34, he said, there's this little note by a narrative, Mark says, and when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep are fearful creatures. And we have a great shepherd who knows us and has compassion for us. And I want, to, I want to park for just a moment on this thought that if we fear many things, we can take comfort in the fact that God knows us, that we have these fears, and that he has compassion upon us. And first, God knows us particularly as a father would know his own children. Uh, David, writing in Psalm 103, verse 13 to 14, David took note of this truth. He said, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He knows our frame, and he remembers that we are but dust. You see, in all of Jesus' teaching, he used everyday objects, everyday experiences and incidents to teach people. And in doing this, he assigned a greater weight to the material world around us by causing people to look 
pass the material to the eternal. The natural world around us is busy, and we all go about our lives instinctively eating and drinking, and the animal world nests, and it gathers, and it hibernates. There's mating, there's germination, there's multiplying, there's dying. The natural world does what it does without even a single thought. It goes about its pattern and routine every day, whether you're thinking about it or not. It's moving, just as it was designed. And Jesus, as he taught, he was inviting his listeners to make observations about the natural world, like the storms that they experience. And then take what they observe and then transfer that to a relationship with God as a heavenly father. As I said, Jesus used lots of illustrations. He talked about sheep and of goats, and he talked to mustard seeds, and he talked about houses and lands, wheats and tares and birds and all these created things. Have predict- they have these patterns that are very predictable. But there is something that's unseen that's behind it all. In the background, there is something that is orchestrating. And Jesus was trying to get us mortals to look beyond the immediate and note, take note that we don't just exist in the physical movements of the world. All this food and this drink, this society, this even death itself is not all there is. All creation displays a transcendence of the physical. They can show us and teach us about forgiveness. They can teach us about second chances. They teach us about life, of love, of mercy, of grace. They teach us about death and resurrection. You know, Jesus, as he taught, he, he saw as much as everyone else saw. But yet he saw more than others saw. He lived a life as much as any of us have lived. He had that birth. He had that growing up. He had that being tired. He had that being lonely, thirsty, hungry, disappointment, and he also had death. But he was able to see beyond. And this leads us to ask, what is it that Jesus wants us to know? He wants us to come to terms with a much deeper or more than understanding about your heavenly Father. Jesus invites us to look beyond the mundane of just looking past our daily shopping, of our cleaning and of our building and of our collecting and our retiring and and the noise that's all around us. He wants us to see our Heavenly Father and know that He has compassion for us. I've often found it very remarkable that in the Gospels, there are repeat, as it were, miracles. 
in particularly the incident in which the disciples were in a storm. We, we started thinking about the first storm that they experienced in which Jesus was in the boat. <laughs> There's another storm that comes. That first storm, Jesus was in the boat, and they wake him up. They're terrified. But there is a second storm in which he is, he's not in the boat. And in Mark chapter 6, we see Jesus, immediately after he had fed the 5,000, he instructed his disciples to get into the boat and go to the other side, and that he would then meet them over there. He took time to go and to pray. This is found in Mark 6, verse uh, 45 and following. And I, I, I look at this event of Jesus a second time putting his disciples in a very vulnerable place, and I recognize my own self in that experience because we are very slow to learn. There's just this remarkable incident in which now he's not in the boat. And in verse 49 to 50, we see Jesus walking on water, and he acted like he was going to keep walking past them. Isn't that insensitive? Verse 49 to 50, I'll read them. It says, But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. And they cried out, for they all saw him, and they were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. What was Jesus teaching them? Jesus had compassion for, his, for those he healed, he had compassion for those he fed. But Jesus demonstrated his greatest compassion for his own disciples who were called to be children of his heavenly Father. Again, I'm going to ask this question. What was Jesus trying to teach them? He was trying to teach them to look beyond their terrifying circumstances and to know that he is always with them. Even if they can't physically see him in the boat. And the second storm comes as an act of compassion because they had not learned this truth yet. It may not appear compassionate to us to think that someone would put us in a very vulnerable place, shake the boat up so that we're terrified, but it was compassionate because it was a kind of discipline to try to teach, to spur them to trust in Him, even if they don't see Him physically with them. At a personal level, there is a deep lesson to be learned, and I think we all need to learn this lesson that no matter how life is going, whether the seas are calm or whether they're running, we, we, we actually don't need to be looking at our circumstances. We need to be looking beyond. We need to be looking at the eternal. We need to be looking at a compassionate Heavenly Father. 
You know, we want our own children to be confident in our earthly relationship. We want them to be confident to look to us as parents because we want to instill within them the family values so that when we're no longer with them, they will carry the family values into another generation. It is a compassionate act for parents to instill discipline in their young so that they are able to hear and to listen to the values which will take them into another generation. For the Christian, our family values are what? It is faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Perfect love casts out fear so that we are able to rejoice in the Lord no matter what our circumstances may be. And the truth of this and the culmination of of the fears that we experience and what, what God's doing is the implication that we're come to at the resurrection is that we truly have nothing to fear. We have truly nothing to be afraid of. If you want to turn back with me to Mark 16, and I'm going to just pick up a few notes here as we, we bring the application to home. Maybe you remember me at the beginning of this sermon say to you that the book of Mark concluded with the word afraid. Maybe you noticed that there were some additional words. It is very possible that Mark intended his gospel to end with a statement of the women's fear and silence. Some scholars have speculated that the autograph, the original of Mark, possibly was damaged and its original ending was lost. And so there is several versions of this. It's believed that because it seems so abrupt, like it sounds kind of strange to end with the word afraid, right? And it led scribes in the early centuries to try to adapt and come up with an alternative longer ending. Now I'm not going to descend into all those options. But I just want to let, for argument's sake, I want to let the awkwardness of ending at verse 8 hit us. If this was Mark's intent, those ladies came anxious to the tomb. They were alarmed by what they saw. The angelic announcement told them not to be afraid. And yet they trembled with astonishment. And what's remarkable is that they didn't tell anyone because they were afraid. Now, these women weren't in the boat with the disciples, as far as I can tell. But they had been in the company of Jesus when, when several times he had told them, hey, I'm, I just want you to know I'm going up to Jerusalem. I'm going to get arrested and they're going to put me on a cross, they're going to bury me, but then I'm going to rise again. In those moments, Mark says they were afraid. They weren't wanting to even ask Jesus what it meant because they, they were afraid of the implications. They, were, it, it, they just wanted to block that out of their minds. But Jesus, when he was with them, was teaching them to look beyond their circumstances, 
Look beyond the cares of life. Eyes of faith in their Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father always makes a way for His children because He cares for them. And even death itself is not an obstacle to our Heavenly Father's love for us. And when Jesus talked about dying, they had not learned yet the lesson of him sleeping in the boat. They had not learned yet the lesson of him walking on the water towards them. Have we not learned the lesson that Jesus is even right here in our midst? The empty tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. Therefore, we do not need to be afraid. I believe that Mark closes his letter this way to clinch this truth. They said nothing, and they were afraid. You know, this world is not just the physical movements of time. It's not food or drink. It's not society. It's not even death itself. There is a beyond. There is eternity beyond what we see before our own eyes. And I ask you, what do you see in the empty tomb? Should this not cause us to rejoice in our compassionate Heavenly Father who so graciously raised Jesus from the dead. As a father shows compassion upon his children, so the Lord shows compassion to all who fear him. He knows our frame. He knows and has compassion upon us because he knows that we are but dust. We're material. It's hard for us to believe in that which we cannot yet see. He has compassion upon us. But it is the Lord who breathes into dust to create life. It is the Lord who breathes into our beings the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we may see beyond the physical. Very famously, Jesus said to a man at night, a man named Nicodemus, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Perhaps you're here this morning and you really can't see beyond the immediate. It feels like your life is overwhelming. You can't let alone see beyond the crushing weight that you're carrying, let alone eternity. Crises are coming like the waves of the sea. You'd like to be able to see and not be afraid. Jesus showed us the way. He preached a gospel of repentance and of believing in Him. Perhaps the reason that you cannot see is because all you can see is what you truly love, and that is your own self. Jesus said you you will not see the kingdom of God unless you are changed, unless you are born again. But you have to humble yourself and repent 
of your self-serving ways and put your faith and trust in Jesus who gave up his life so that you might see. See, Christ was crucified, he was buried, and he was resurrected so that you too might be forgiven of your sins and experience eyes which can see eternal life. You will have a greater hope within you that will cause you to persevere through great adversaries and great obstacles before you. And the big idea that I hope we all take home today is that we have no reason to fear because Jesus is alive. All glory be to him.